0: I hope you had a fantastic week this past week, but I want to start and just ask, am I I the only one, or uh, did any of you get a little bit, uh, maybe worked up, a little bit apprehensive about this coming Thursday, maybe the the prospect of former Hurricane Elsa coming directly over Charlotte with torrential uh, uh, rain and wind? Anybody else get a little worked up, maybe prepared to hunker down for that? Am I the only one who did that? Well, I, I should tell you, the National Weather Service said you should have done that. And, um, and uh, uh, you know, I, I preemptively canceled one of my microgroup meetings. Cause I didn't, didn't want to have a bunch of guys driving around really early in the morning and, you know, monsoon-like weather. Uh, but but uh, uh, my conclusion coming out of all that is when I grow up, I want to be a weatherman. Uh, <laughs> because it, it really is. And people hang on your every word, and there's apparently no consequence whatsoever for being wildly wrong. Uh, either a weatherman or, or maybe a stockbroker. But at any rate, uh, one person who did get it really, really right last week uh, was uh, Pastor Matt. Uh, when this past Sunday, he reminded us about the incredible importance of the Bible, uh, the role that scriptures play in our lives, and our own great need to take scripture seriously. To give the scriptures the time and the attention they deserve, To make sure we give them more time and more attention than we give the news, uh, than we give social media, than we give television or other things. And and to do that, to give it more time than we give those other things, so that your thinking and your emoting and your decision making and, and whatnot will be influenced and directed by the scripture just like they're supposed to be. For decades, I've said American Christians, in my opinion, tend to be way better Americans than they are Christians. And one of the fundamental reasons for that is because so many American Christians spend way more time listening to and being influenced and being discipled by the culture than they do spending time in the Bible. And with that thought in mind, we're going to turn our attention to the Scriptures this morning. I want to encourage you as you're able, would you stand with me, please, in honor of the Word of God. Uh, We're going to take a look at a portion of this past week's uh, Old Testament lesson from Amos chapter 7. And to get us focused and moving, we're going to read Amos chapter 7, verses 7 to 9. Amos chapter 7, verses 7 to 9. If you're with me here in the Center for New Life, I'll read the plain text. If you'll join me in reading the highlighted portions. And if you're worshiping with us virtually over our YouTube channel, then just read the text as it pops up on the screen. But Amos chapter 7, beginning at verse 7, this is what the Bible says. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I'm setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Praise the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. The passage we're looking at this morning opens with Amos writing, This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And I want to stop there for just a moment. I talked about this very briefly in my midweek community service this week. If you check that out, you will have heard part of this. But I want to stop here and make sure you understand. Uh, what it is Amos is talking about here. Because a plumb line if, if you don't know a plumb line is a simple tool uh, uh, used by builders uh, to help them uh, make sure that walls and columns and other structures that are supposed to be straight up and down are in fact uh, straight up and down. A plumb line then basically is a string with a weight attached to the end of it. So uh, you can drop that weight and know that the line formed by the string is perfect, perfectly straight up and down. Then, of course, you hold it up to the wall or the, or the column or whatever you're working on. Uh, make sure that it is straight up and down as well. In other words, a plumb line is a standard. It's a perfect, consistent, unchanging standard by which a builder may judge his work. And in this particular vision, Amos saw the Lord Himself holding up His standard. And the whole point of a standard, the whole reason plumb lines exist in the first place, is for the purpose of comparison. So Amos goes on, says the Lord asked me, "What do you see, Amos?" A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, "Look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer." The high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. This is a powerful and profoundly serious passage of Scripture because in it, among other things, God makes it very clear. He has a standard, a clear and measurable expectation of what He wants from you what He wants from me, how He expects you to live, what He expects you to do. To put it another way, God does not save you so you can live any way you want to, do anything you want to, and one day still, because of Jesus, go to heaven when you die. Rather, God saves you to restore you to His original plan and purpose for your life. His plan and purpose for your life, His plan that you love Him and love people as you represent Him in the world, bringing His love and His goodness and His kingdom order into and to bear on the world around you. And make no mistake about it, one day every single one of us will stand before the Lord and give an account of how we've lined up to that purpose of how we've lined up with respect to God's plumb line. And to be perfectly honest with you, I have some serious concerns about how the church is doing. Amos saw the Lord holding a plumb line. And you really need to notice here that he wasn't just holding that plumb line up to the Egyptians and the Philistines and the Ammonites. Now Amos does open, the book of Amos does open with God pronouncing various judgments on a whole host of pagan nations surrounding Israel. To be sure, a day is coming when the cruel and the wicked and the brazenly sinful will be judged for their deeds and an eternal perfect justice will eternally prevail. One of the foundational things we believe about Jesus, one of the foundational things we confess about Jesus in the Apostles' Creed is that He is coming back one day to judge the living and the dead. what I want to make sure you see this morning from this particular passage of Scripture is that judgment according to God's plumb line is not simply for the lost. God spoke to Amos and said, "Look, I am setting a plumb line among my people." And while that particular vision and that r- was related to a particular time and the particular nation of Israel, it nevertheless plainly reveals a far more general truth. The truth that the God you serve has a very specific standard. The God you serve has expectations of you. And one day you will stand before him to see how well your life lines up, lined up with those expectations. In the Old Testament, God said to the prophet Amos, Look, I'm setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. And in the New Testament, God declares through the Apostle Paul, for we must all stand, or we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And I want to make sure you notice here that the, as the Apostle Paul writes this, as a Christian to a group of Christians, he says, We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And not simply to be welcomed into glory because of the sacrifice of Jesus, but also to be compared with the Lord's plumb line. To be measured according to what we did. According to how we live in these bodies we have right now. I don't know about you, but I don't find very many Christians talking about this these days. In fact, two different young men I've met with over the course of the last several weeks over breakfast, part of what I said to them was, "You know, I just don't think we're talking enough. I don't hear people talking enough. I don't think Christians are thinking enough about the reality that one day they will stand before the Lord and give an accounting of their lives seems to be a very basic bible truth that has completely escaped an awful lot of christians it's like we've gotten so caught up in the glorious reality that jesus has died to pay for our sins that we've somehow mistakenly come to believe that means how we live doesn't matter anymore Or, or, or we've gotten so excited about the gospel truth That we're not saved by our good works, that we've totally forgotten the gospel truth that we are saved to do good works, that we are saved in order to glorify God by carrying on His work in the world. Yes, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesian Christians in Ephesians chapter 2 and says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. But in the very next sentence, he continues and writes, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a plumb line. I said at the close of my Father's Day message, I really don't think we're ready. As I, as I look at the church today, the church universal, the church I keep seeing everywhere, I don't think we're ready. I don't think we're ready for what the world is preparing to send our way. I don't think we're ready to be what the world needs us to be in it. And I don't think we're ready to stand in beside the plumb line of the Lord. I recently read a comment from someone in Southeast Asia. They were commenting on why they believe uh, Christians struggle often to win converts in that part of the world. And their comment was that that Christians aren't particularly successful winning converts in Southeast Asia because they're not holy enough. His point was that that Christians show up there with with food and money and programs, but the people are looking for saints. They're looking for people who've been changed. They're looking for people who, who know God and live like they know God and have been changed because they know God. But but too many of the Christians I see, including way too often the one I see in the mirror, live and think and talk and act, pretty much like the rest of the folks around us. In business, in sports, in politics, and so forth. They're often just as coarse, just as rude, just as crude as the next guy often way more concerned about winning than about representing God and advancing His kingdom. And nothing has opened my eyes to the severity of this problem right now as much as watching so many people who profess to be followers of Jesus, watching how they conducted themselves in 2020 in the face of a global pandemic and a very contentious national election. We have got to grow up in Jesus. We simply must do better. For example, in this week's gospel lesson, we read about John the Baptist. We read how he was imprisoned and ultimately beheaded because Mark says, in in Mark chapter 6, John had been saying to Herod the king, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now, I want to make sure you understand, there's absolutely no indication in the text whatsoever that John was doing anything here other than trying to graciously counsel and correct the king. He wasn't yelling at Herod. He wasn't publicly castigating Herod. He was simply, consistently saying to Herod, what you're doing is not right according to the word of God. And as I read that this week, I could not help but stop and wonder. How many evangelical Christians were doing that for President Trump? Speaking the truth to him in love. Saying to him lovingly, but clearly, Mr. President, it's not right. As leader of the free world... And as an example to our children, you really shouldn't cuss so much. You shouldn't act like such a bully. You you, you shouldn't make fun of people. You shouldn't call people names. We tell our children not to do that. Mr. President, you shouldn't do it in front of them. Listen, Mr. President, I, I love what you're doing with regard to religious freedom and Israel, the Middle East, and the economy. But a whole bunch of the stuff in your private life, that keeps percolating out into your public life isn't right according to the Word of God. I worry that an awful lot of Christians I know were so happy with with, with some of President Trump's public policies that they stopped caring about the standards of God. That somehow in their politics, they lost sight of God's point line. And their, their answer would often be, when I say, you, you, you know, these things are a problem, but, say, yeah, but he's doing so much good, he's doing so many good things, he's doing so many good things for Israel, he's doing so many good things for the economy, he's doing so many good things for Christians. But here's the truth from the Bible. Back to that passage we're looking at from Amos. The Lord gave that vision to Amos of a plumb line, and he said, I'm going to spare my people no longer. He gave that vision during the reign of Jeroboam II in the nation of Israel. I've told you before, I'll tell you again, economically, militarily, and foreign policy-wise, Jeroboam II was one of the greatest kings ever in the history of Israel. He led that nation in remarkable economic and geopolitical successes. The nation prospered mightily, economically, Politically, militarily, mightily under his rule, and yet when the Lord looked at him with his plumb line, he said in verse 9, with my sword I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Now let me be very, very clear, and please do not miss this. I'm not here this morning to talk to you about my concerns with Donald Trump. The truth is, I really, really like many of his public actions and policies. The truth is, I, I voted for him, and, and I was content to do so. My concern this morning is not with President Trump. My concern this morning is with the present condition, condition of the church, a church that seems to me to have lost all sense of what it means to represent the Lord in the world that has in many ways lost its connection to the Bible and the gospel and the plain teaching of Jesus with regard to the kingdom of God and love and compassion and mercy and truth. Simply put, we are not ready. And that's a discipleship problem. We've not been discipled like we should have. We've not been discipling like we should have. And so many in the church today are not ready. the good news is, by the grace of God, we can change that. You can, as Pastor Matt urged you last week, turn your attention to the Scriptures. Spend time in the Bible, letting it challenge you and convict you and change. Don't just pick through it to find the stuff you like and agree with. Set in the stuff that upsets you and challenges you. You can. Make a point, as Pastor Matt encouraged us last week, to spend more time with God than you spend with the news. To spend more time with God than you spend on social media. To spend more time with God than you spend on your phone. You can make a point to do that. You can. Spend time with God praying and studying Scripture and communing with the people of God in Christian community and small group settings and micro group settings and settings like these. You can do that. You can train yourself to spend more time praying about things than you spend complaining and worrying about them. Let me say that because somebody needs to hear that again. You can train yourself to spend more time praying about stuff than you spend complaining about it or worrying about it. You can train yourself to think deeply about the gospel and apply it to your everyday life to put God and others ahead of yourself. You can learn how to walk in faith instead of fear. How to walk in love instead of selfishness? You can learn that. You can grow in that. If you find, you know, if part of your confession of yourself is "I'm just a worrier," you can learn to walk in faith instead of fear. And if your spouse says, "You know, you're pretty selfish," because most of us would not say that of ourselves, you can learn to walk in love rather than selfishness. You can begin to think more like a Christian than you think like an American. You can become more and more like Jesus, but none of that is very likely to happen if you're not willing to take some very practical steps and make some very concrete changes. You must be willing to take your sins and your personal weaknesses seriously, to quit laughing about them and excusing them and saying that's just who I am. You must be willing to take your personal sins and your personal weaknesses seriously and then begin to do the things necessary to see them change so that you're ready to stand with the Lord's plumb line. As a coach, my very favorite award to give at the end of every season was always the award for most improved. I love to give that award. Way rather give out an award for most improved uh, uh, than, than MVP. MVP is often about talent. Most improved is always about effort. Because look at me, you don't get better without deciding to. You don't get better without making a decision. I want to get better. I want to improve. You don't get, you do not improve without making a decision to improve. Uh, improvement it shows intentionality and effort because improvement requires intentionality and effort. MVP does not necessarily always require that, at least not at the middle school and high school level. Sometimes that just requires a good gene pool. Improvement requires effort. As I move into the next phase of my life and my ministry, this is where I want to spend my time. This is where I want to spend my energy. I want to spend the rest of my life doing this. Becoming a better disciple of Jesus, making more disciples of Jesus. I want to spend the rest of my life changing helping people change getting better every day at loving God and loving people becoming more like Jesus and helping others do the same listen the Lord I serve the Lord I love has a plumb line he has a standard and I want so badly to line up with it not because I'm afraid of judgment Jesus has handled that for me I, I, I don't want to line up I want to line up because I love him and because I want to make him happy. I want so badly to change. To be more like Jesus and to help other people do the same. And I know that means willing, that I might be willing, that together we might all be willing to make the changes necessary to be the people God's called us and created us to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you as we always thank you for the power and the clarity of your word word which always tells us the truth, which shows us who you are and what you're like and who we are and what we're supposed to be like. Oh, Lord, our God, help us live this day, each day, with that coming day in mind, not out of fear or anxiety or worry of judgment, knowing that Jesus has taken our judgment upon himself but out of intense love for you and for the people who desperately need us to be the people you called us and created us to be. Change us, O Lord our God, and make us agents of change. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah.